lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for joining us today. We've got a really interesting story to tell today. We've got Kelly Markey, and she's an accomplished writer. She's a motivational speaker. She's a philanthropist. She's a wife. She's a successful corporate professional and global inspiration. As an international best-selling author that has a five-star rating on Amazon, her ability to move forward and overcome pain and hardship throughout her life is what really has propelled Kelly to rise above and be the best version of herself. This is amazing to me, Kelly. And just 10 days during the COVID-19 lockdown of 2020, you wrote your first book. And that book was part memoir, part self-help. And it's called Don't Just Fly, Soar. And I know there's got to be a story behind that. Because the book also shares her often turbulent yet inspirational journey through life. Beginning as the youngest of five Indian children in South Africa, she talks about ways her childhood and young adult life was marked with experiences of racial segregation and violence. Until at age 22, when she moved to New Zealand to study pharmacy. Kelly, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Lee, for having me on your show. I, it's a great pleasure to be here. So I'm always in, interested in the story behind the book. Uh, I know I wrote a book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On. And it, it's so interesting to really understand where the book came from. So are you comfortable kind of sharing a little bit with us about don't just fly soar? Yes, sure. I am. So I had no desire to actually write a book. I guess I lived it. This is my life. And um, it's the pandemic that was the catalyst. I guess we all were in this vortex of unknown and unsure what the future will bring. So I guess I found people from around the globe reaching out to me. I'm an avid traveler and I've traveled to more than 200 cities around the world. And I've ha- I've got heaps of networks. So during this time, people were trying to tap into my resilience or, you know, the ability to, to get up and try once more because the apple cart was toppled and people were in disarray wondering where life is going to take them. And then I realized that, wow, I've got so much of lived experience and, you know, people are wanting to tap into this. So I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through this pandemic, but here goes. I'm going to actually write my lessons gleaned, you know, the journey that I've been on. So I started from, you know, um, being born in South Africa, moving to New Zealand and now uh, living in Australia, what that looked like and the journeys and also through my journey I discovered that being away from my nucleus most of the time I didn't have the answers I was you know in the thick of it and I had to discover what worked so I wanted to share that with humanity because most of the time we don't have the 101 and nobody hands us a manual saying here this is the path walk in it you have to discover it. And this is, you know, hopefully people don't have to go through the same painful journey, but can glean from it. 
Well, absolutely. And I think people really uh, like hearing other people's journey because we've all had one. And at times when we feel like we're all by ourselves and that we're so alone and we're so isolated, and then we hear somebody else's story and we hear what they've been through and what they've had to overcome and survive. It's very nurturing, I think. Absolutely. I've been inundated with responses, you know, um, wow, it just blew me away. I've, uh, you know, initially when I started writing, I sent my my manuscript to a uh, marketing company in Melbourne and the CEO contacted me asking me for a synopsis of my book and I sent it and basically she got back saying, this genre doesn't sell. And I was despondent just for a day because then the same day I got a positive feedback and when I launched my book, in less than an hour, I became an international bestseller in 28 categories. You know, that was um, mind-boggling. But what it really hit me is the real people reading this and having transformation and tears and the feedback was just amazing. I've, I'll share a little bit later. So it's every person that reads this book is now either reading it for the second or third time or they've contacted me in awe and it was not what I expected. Well, I can imagine because when you just kind of say, I'm I'm just going to write this book and you have no expectations and you put it out there and it's so well received. I think you said in 28 categories. That's amazing. Yes. So uh, that was also, uh, you know, part of it was um, in psychology as well. So, you know, actually dealing with the mind and the way we think and, you know, winning the battle in your mind rather than being the victim constantly. So lots of people I was going to say, let's talk about the battle in your mind, because, you know, it's we all have self-defeating thoughts. We all have that negative chit-chat going. And, you know, I've, I've had clients say, you know, I don't even know what happened, Lee. It's just all of a sudden I was really overwhelmed or all of a sudden I was furious. And it's those automatic negative thoughts, those little ants. And once we learn how to capture those and then we can start to address them and put them in the right place. So with with you, did you have a lot of ruminating negative thoughts that before you wrote the book? Um, I think as we go through life, we all have negative tossed our way. It is it's how we deal with it. And, uh, you know, part of my journey is going through living through undiagnosed endometriosis and then two failed IVFs, miscarriage, a divorce. Uh, there's a lot to plummet down south. Yet, I had to get up each day and show up as a professional. I was in a foreign country, and even though I felt like all I wanted to do was crawl under a rock and remain there, Lee, I couldn't. Because I guess I could have chosen to be under the rock that would have carved my future. And logically, that's not where I wanted to be in the future. So I had to, some days it was a trudge. Some day it was, you know, kicking and screaming. But I knew the broader picture that I didn't want this for my life. 
So it's not like you you step, get up in the morning and say, you know what, I want to tame this beast. Sometimes you don't have the energy, but it's knowing the bigger picture that I'm not going to be governed by my emotions. So have you always been kind of a visionary and seen the bigger picture? Because a lot of times that can be the hardest thing for people to grow into. Yeah, so uh, I think it's probably been in me since I was very young. It's things that, you know, unfolded in my life. I talk about, you know, being really young when I was in South Africa and having two of my cousins murdered and discovering, discovering that in a very horrific way at school. And it was terrifying, but I had no option. You know, I was just a kid and there was no other cards on the deck. I had to deal with it. And I guess from a very young age, I knew that things were not fair and cards will, you know, fall on your lap that you need to deal with. So I guess it gave me an um, internal vector what was your support and did you i mean was your family supportive or were you pretty much standing alone so i think being in that vortex at that time and being in south africa um yes they you know there was family awareness but everyone's dealing like you know when when my cousins were murdered um it was a shock it was a shock to the nation shock to the country Everyone was dealing with that. Um, so nobody really, like, stops to to wonder how the other person's doing. You know, we discovered this at school, and I write in my book when I'm an adult and I'm watching the news in New Zealand, and they had this catastrophe of kids in a school bus where they rolled, and and they had to go for counselling. And I it brought back memories where it took me back to the time I was in my class and my teacher unfolded that these two boys were murdered and they were my cousins. Even the school didn't care about how we were going to walk home that day. So it was the whole culture. You know what I mean? It was like in that era accepted and normal. And now I look back at it and I, I discern how abnormal it is. So, um, in that aspect, no, like at school, I didn't get the support. My family was dealing with a catastrophe of their own. So like, you know, they were just trying to be there for my aunt and uncle who had lost their kids. Um, and I walked through the journey, you know, of everything else in life, like going through miscarriage and fertility. And even now, like on Mother's Day, um, humanity would probably know you've got a heavy burden, but people choose to look away because not everyone wants to walk the journey with you. So, you know, the subtitle of my book is the inspiration and the tools you need to rise above adversity and create a life by design. And most of the time, you have to create that plan for recovery. Well, and you had some trauma in your life growing up. You have, are very familiar with domestic violence, and you're a survivor. And I think that's what moved you to Australia, isn't it? 
Uh, yes, so domestic violence in my marriage and initially being in New Zealand. So from that, I moved to Australia, yes. Uh, again, it was it was a tough road, you know, the, from a Hindu background, the cultural norm is you don't get caught, you know, you put up and, and that's what, you know, the uh, generations before me did. So, you know, what was good for me. Um, again, because it's not like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to defy and go there. It's, again, what I felt was not right for me, and I had to choose for a brighter day. Well, and you make such a good point by using the word choose, because it is a choice. It truly is, and I can remember as a little girl growing up, my mom would say, Lee, you can reach in that same drawer and you can pull out happiness or you can pull out sadness. It's your choice. And, you know, she taught me at a very young age that it was a choice and that I was in control of that. And, it, you know, I wasn't even a I, I was an adolescent. And I can remember thinking, you know, I would say that to, to someone my age and they would look at me like, what are you talking about? There's no choice. There's no choice involved. And for, I guess for a lot of people, the sad thing is there isn't, Kelly. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been inundated with requests to write a book. And it's what, what you brought just so apt. And what I'm writing, what I've written, my next manuscript, is Making Sage Decision, which is fundamentally choice. We all have choices. So, you know, no matter how bleak the situation may be, something to a door or, you know, to the end of a passageway or something, and we all reach a point because of the choices we've made in the past, you know, even if it's future generations, it all, you know, aligns. And, and that's what we need to understand how it aligns as an individual, as a community, as a nation, as a country. And that's what my next book covers, you know, basically how, you know, we've made, it looks at um, use cases of decisions that was made in history by people and just laymen. So substantial people and how it impacts lives. So that choice, we have so much power with that choice. Well, when, and as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, wow, she's got strong resilience. And it was during the pandemic that I realized how how few people's resilience could remain intact after what we were going through. Because, you know, when everything's going my way, Kelly, I, and when I'm on top of the world and everything's great, my resilience is as strong as an elephant. But when life comes along, and you know it always does, and it throws you a big curveball, I'll be the first to admit my my resilience starts to weaken. And so I hear you say mentally you've got that resilience going. Absolutely. You know, so I wasn't born with this, Lee. It's life that gave me that. And if you want to excel and um, leave a mark, leave a legacy in life, you have to be able to, you know, get up 
and show up for life and create a motto what you want to live by. For me, it's showing, I guess, my philosophy is building that character within individuals or an organization so they can look objectively and analyze their blind spots or how they make decisions, how it impacts. And one of the chapters I look at, you know, we touched on the subject is domestic violence. And, you know, in certain countries, we have people murdered because of domestic violence. And looking at both ends of the spectrum, you know, the victim and the perpetrator, how they made choices, decisions, what legislation affects it, uh, what culture affects it. There's so many things to unpack in terms of layers of choices. And sometimes it's indoctrinated by generation after generation. So if that's where we are at, like, you know, we look at the things that are unfolding in Iran at the moment, uh, who and why? Um, have we created this policy or legislation and, you know, humanity around the globe is questioning it. So now they are actually reevaluating it. And that's where we as individuals need to be is to not just um, accept that, you know, we are part of a herd, but to analyze it and say, hey, this may have worked 100 years ago. It's not working now. We need to readdress it. We need better decision-making skills. I agree with you. And, and I think that so many times we get stuck. We're just, we get stuck in our habits and we, well, it's always worked for me before, you know, it's going to work. It's going to work. And, and maybe it's not. So, and I know a lot of times when I feel that people are stuck and actually can see it um, in a brain assessment that we do and that they need to create neuroplasticity in their brain. So that's kind of what my biomarker is. What's yours for being able to tell someone's stuck? Yeah, you know, you see them chasing their tail. They're, expect, they're doing the same old thing and expect to get a different result. Basically, they just haven't, you know, got out of bed, out of life, but they're expecting to have the same harvest, you or me. But, you know, we know what we've put in. So, you know, for people to just get real and um, introspect. Well, and I think, you know, that when you say get real, it makes me think about being authentic. And authenticity yeah. is something that I strive for personally and I strive to help all the all the the clients at the brain performance with, because if you can if you can just show up and be true to yourself and be happy with that, life gets a whole lot easier. Absolutely, I think where it gets um, in a meander is when we decide to put on a mask, you know, to appear in society, and. Uh, we're trying to um, create these facades and we need to live up to it. It's it, it just burdens everyone. It burdens society. It burdens the individual family. It makes things complex. So it's about, you know, just keeping it simple so you can reach your level of contentment. And, you know, I think so many times it's human nature. We set these expectations that are very unrealistic. 
and they're we know that they're unrealistic but we continue to set them and then when we don't achieve that we're disappointed we're mad at ourselves we blame ourselves or worse we blame others but unrealistic expectations i feel like it can be a huge barrier to your ability to be authentic with yourself absolutely i i think it's you know sometimes even as an individual if you want to be authentic and be real it's your you know the the famous saying is you are you know who you hang out with so the the five best people that are influencing it, you in your network that's how you're going to be and if you allow people around you to influence you in a certain way that's going to color your life in a tangible way and speaking from an example i've i've actually um donated my books to an organization in south africa and just to help humanity and they farmed my book out to people that they thought needed it and out of the blues i had a um woman that contacted me on messenger she began reading my book and she read it basically in 2 days it's um you know 100 pages and she was in so much of pain that she thought she had no hope so she reached out on messenger and she said to me wow you know i haven't really had a proper meal in 6 months and she wanted to just have a conversation and she unraveled that her husband had committed suicide on her birthday oh. she was she was cocooned in pain and yet society knew that but like her her closest network and influence was keeping her in a pen because uh her husband was a pastor's son so they didn't want her to be authentic and talk about her grief and the things she's gone through and she couldn't come up for psychological air and she said to me wow i'm in tears just reading your book and i feel like for the first time i have hope and she's like can i call you and it was like 3 a.m. in australia and i was like yes yeah, sure and for the first time in 6 months she felt like a bomb of you know remedy come over her and she felt like wow she can get through this and i think even as a human if you feel like you know uh, i need to strive to get on to the other side just to survive it's the people we put around us that sometimes cause us to sink i agree with that i think you know when i look at at the brain performance center we work with a lot of depression a lot of anxiety and a lot of times what's keeping people anxious or depressed is the relationships they have with other people and uh, sometimes it's them not knowing how to change yeah. those relationships or being afraid to you know fear that fight flight or fight can when that takes over that affects your decision making it affects your, your critical thinking skills and when people just feel like they have no hope that's when they're at their worst absolutely and you know people are psychologically blackmailing them or whatever there's so much that goes on that you know we are unaware of that uh, unhealthy relationship and 
as individuals, we need to empower ourselves to to think critically for our own welfare. Well, and and you make a good point. We have to do the thinking for ourselves. And here I'm going to go back to those unrealistic expectations that I talked about a minute ago. People will say, will expect someone else to do that for them. And, you know, I have I have kids, and as much as I love my kids, I can't do that for them. There's absolutely no way. Yeah, absolutely. You can lead them to the water. And I think that's where we begin living, when we live abundantly. No matter what comes your way, you make a choice. And if someone's trying to entangle you and enmesh you in something, you can think clearly. Well, sometimes we get stuck, we get in so deep that we can't we can't see the forest for the trees. And it happens to all of us. And just having the ability to stop, you know, I'll, I'll tell a lot of people, take a pause. Just yeah. take a take a break. Pause things. And stand there or sit there and focus on your breathing and slow that breath rate down get that breath rate in sync with your heart rate create heart rate variability that's a sign of wellness and good health and when you take the time to do that it also gives the brain a little bit of time to reframe those thoughts and this is a true fact Every research shows every day we have three times more positive events in our life than negative. But what does the brain hold on to? The one negative. So we've got to help that brain reframe things. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the body keeps score of everything that's going on in the brain. And I know they're big believers in it just the other way. But either way you say it. You know, it's it's all connected, and it, the physical aspect can be exhausting. Absolutely. So, in addition to my memoir, I have twenty five self help tools. So these are tools that I have curated, and that uh, lands exactly where you know you uh, talk about. This is what we need: is creating that mental resilience, and. Again, it's been phenomenal, the feedback for people going through these 25 tools. It's what has given them the aha moments. They're like, wow, I can do this. I've got this. I mean, I think that we all need, most people need some structure to work within and having tools that they can use. One, it gives them reassurance that there's there's a plan. You just have to follow the plan. There's, there's steps in place. And knowing that other people have used those tools and benefited is also very reassuring at the same time. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, I'd really love to jump in and understand what those different tools are. Because, you know, I mentioned the breathing. That's a tool that that I, or I, I use that as a tool for, for people, particularly with ang- with anxiety. And, you know, being grateful, that's another tool. So stick with us, listeners, and when we come back, you can learn more about how you can help yourself. We'll be back after these messages. It's words you never heard. Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. 
Don't be a lachrymist and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer and most of all, be honest. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. So during the break, Kelly and I were talking a little bit about the different types of tools that are out there. And she's got a, a ton of them. And she's going to open up and share some of those with our listeners right now. Yes. So part of my book is um, the self-help section, which is the second part. And that contains 25 self-help tools, which, again, has been amazing with the public. My book has sold in 72 countries and counting, and I've got, you know, very positive results from people actually unpacking these. So we begin with mental resilience. And, you know, as you talked about how the things are stored in our body, and this is exactly how um, this tool unravels how we store things. And I talk about, you know, my personal experience going through all the things that I've mentioned initially and I had to live with. And sometimes you think, oh, I've dealt with that. And I was, you know, on a glorious holiday in Europe and I song on the radio and I was nothing but a mess because even though I thought I dealt with it, it was the memories that came up to the surface and just unraveled me in a moment where I didn't expect to. So it was real, it was tangible, and I realized that, you know, you can't shove things deep down in your psychological um, layers and think, yeah, you know, it's not going to surface. It does. So I walked the reader through what worked for me, and it's called a a word association test and going through that and how you can, you know, uh, reach out for those data that's stored in your unconscious and conscious mind and work with it in a tangible way where you come to a place of resolution. So that's the first tool, and there's 24 others. So let's do a demonstration. Can we do a demonstration of that on, on the show for our listeners? Sure. So we would look at, like, in the book, I say we look at five words, right? Just So I'll give you the Precy version. We look at five words like wisdom, weekend, repair, build, thorns. And I get the reader to write, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And if I ask you for, like, weekend, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Relaxation. Yay. I think you've uh, gone to the top of the class with that one, please. <laughs> I got lucky. <laughs> so uh, what about thorns? What about what? 
thorns, as in T-H-O-R-N-S. The first thing that comes to my mind is a pain in my rear. Exactly. So, you know, it's things that are stored, right? So that's just a generic example. And then I I walk them through um, the next layer. So to go in a little bit deeper and personal and look at words that um, are more like discord, hatred, envy, joy. So what comes to your mind when when I say discord? Get rid of, throw away. Yeah, and we've got peace and kindness as well. So uh, I walk the, the reader to actually get authentic with putting down places, events, right? So if you think that you've dealt with something and when you say hate, when I say hatred and if my name comes up, then you need to identify why you're feeling this emotion towards me. What's there? And we need to unravel it. And then, you know, it walks the reader to actually, you know, you can't change someone else's behavior or you can't expect them to do something to forgive you, apologize, no matter what the saga is. But you have to come to a place where you can make peace with it and you can write, you know, no matter how long it takes you to When you come to that word association test and you get the word hatred, Hopefully, it's not going to be a strong emotion towards me. Well, and hopefully, you know, sometimes you can tell when you're talking about something that upsets people, you can you can watch their their physical reactions, you know, and I'll see shoulders rise up or they're they're right. They become earrings and the tension that must be there. Or I'll see people, you know, they'll lose eye contact. They'll look at the floor and they won't even go eyeball to eyeball with you. So being able to see that type of body language and sharing, sometimes I'll even share that with them. And, you know, it's so funny because after they, I'm like, do you feel tension in your neck right now? Well, yeah. Yes, I do. But if I say, oh, you you know, you've got your shoulders all clenched up. Oh, no, no, I don't. So, you know, you, what you describe is peeling an onion layer by layer. And sometimes that can be difficult. Yeah, but I think when they actually go through the journey by themselves in terms of like, you know, reading the book at their own pace, I've got amazing feedback. And if they do want to get real with themselves and improve their life and leave a a better legacy or enhance connections and influence in a profound way, then they need to get real. And the other tool is, you know, the roaring difference between change and progress. And I think this gives them a lot of gems in terms of what they need to um, zoom into, what really matters. Are they looking for change? And change is difficult. It is peeling those layers. And sometimes it's excruciating. And sometimes it can be it can be difficult when particularly if you're doing it all by yourself. And that requires great motivation. That requires a, a true commitment to be the best you can be. And I think that's we all want that. 
It's just that we, a lot of us don't know how to get there. A lot of us are afraid to even try and get there because we're afraid we're not going to make it. And having these tools that you're talking about, and what I really like, they can be used when, doesn't matter what time of day it is, doesn't matter what day of the week it is, whenever you're ready to do the work, the tools are available. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing I've gleaned from my personal journey and I've created a tool is reducing learning cycles. So it looks at all the different touch points in someone's life. So, you know, if you have um, a child and your child is going through something, so, you know, you are supporting your child. They may have a partner. They may have friends, university, work, um, hospital, church, and other organizations, right? And if they are dealing with the same issue over and over, so it actually breaks down what each resource is putting in, and we equate that, you know, to their time, energy, money. And then if they don't learn the lesson, and then each one of these organizations or persons has to put in hours again next week, next month, next year, five years, how that equation looks. It's tangible and it is, um, I've curated a diagram as well, and it gives people that reference. And people looked at it and they went, ah, wow, this is amazing. Because they can actually see, you know what, my habits, it's leaving a trail. Well, and habits are so difficult that they, they become habits and we don't even realize them. It's not with intent. It's not that we want to do things that way every single time, but before we do it, we do. And I'm amazed at how when someone is committed to changing those habits, how easily it can be done. Absolutely. It's, you know, um, giving yourself the opportunity to grow. Well, and, and, you know, there is such a difference between change and progress. The The hard part is, is that people associate those two together. Well, if I change, then there's going to be progress. And oftentimes I think they think that progress will be one giant step up. And that's not exactly the way that I have experienced it. Have you? Absolutely not. No. Uh, sometimes it's happening and you don't even know it's happening. But, you know, you get up and and you realize, wow, I don't do that anymore. And when and I would encourage people when you have that realization, pat yourself on the back or give yourself a hug, whatever works for you. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, I have found that. A lot of times when people are trying to create change, they don't know, they know they want change, but they really are not clear on how they want that change to manifest in their life. You know, people will say, well, you know, I just don't want to be so anxious anymore. Okay, well, what does that look like for you? You know, how does that show in your human performance? And sometimes it's as simple as, well, I'd really like to be able to get to work every day on time. And as, as small as that sounds, that's that's a game changer. 
Yes, and that's what it starts with, all the micro goals that lead to the macro goals. So part of the tools also walks you through, you know, establishing these goals, which leads to your vision board. And ultimately, yeah, I want to get up and be on time. I want to be authentic. And, uh, you know, you want to leave an impression, whatever it may be for your, for each individual. It will help you to define what utopia looks like for you. Well, I am a big believer in vision boards and I've used them. I do one every couple of years just to kind of, number one, update myself on what my vision is because it does change. There may be a lot of similar parts to it, but the overall end changes or how I want to get there changes and, and being able to see that helps me to really gives me understanding of where I'm going. Absolutely. And I think the amazing part is when you have vision and you realize, okay, I want to do ABC. And then you come back, you know, a year later or five years later and you go, wow, I've actually, you know, broke that glass ceiling and I've done far more. And it is It's so amazing to have it captured because you realize, you know, you set the bar so low for yourself when you actually can achieve far more. And you've done that unconsciously, but, you know, you planned for it. Well, you planned for it. And I think intention plays a role in this, too. You know, if you're just going to sit back and wait to, A, get lucky, or B, things to just fall in your lap, it's not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it gives you, um, you know, a snapshot of your objectives. It also gives you the ability to plan for risks. So you're aware that, you know, this might happen and how am I going to react or what's my plan B? So you're not just, you know, reacting, you're actually responding to a situation. Well, and I think oftentimes not knowing that you have a plan B, that that creates barriers in itself. This is the only plan I have. I've got to push it. I've got to make it work. And we all have blind spots. We we all I, I love when I talk over things with different people. I certainly can tell you my husband's <laughs> can see some blind spots that I can't. Absolutely. Great. So uh, look, looks like um, you have insight to my book. So one of the tools is actually encouraging people to, you know, set a coffee date with someone they trust and discuss their blind spots because that is fundamental. You know, we have our rose tinted glasses about ourselves and, um, it's good to actually get real and have someone in your network that you trust that can bring things to life and you can genuinely purge them. Well, and it's amazing to me how the different relationships that we have in our life come into play, because I know I can say something to, for instance, one of my one of my children, and I hesitate to call them children anymore because they're 34 years old. But I can say something to one of them and my husband can say something, the same thing to, you know, to them. And it's perceived differently. And it's because of the difference in relationships. Yes, absolutely. And and 
it's what you get from that, you know, in terms of how they're going to receive it and what they're going to do with it. So it's so important to be aligned with the right people when, you know, who you let into your heart and your mind, because what they say will influence you in a big way. Well, it's I love that you use the word aligned. Uh, alignment is, I think, a word I, I hear in my head probably 10 times a day. I'm in the middle of a PhD. Well, I'm, not, I'm almost done with a PhD program. I'm finishing up my course content. And after that, I'll move into my dissertation. And it's all about alignment. I must I must see that word and I say that word to myself over and over and over. And nothing's more important in our life than to be to have alignment and to be aligned, you know, with yourself. And I can remember as my kids were growing up, I would say, well, be true to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a hard road, but you have to make that decision. If not, it will just drag you down. Well, how do you think? I mean, and, and I look at a lot. I look at human performance and at the Brain Performance Center, and I see that beliefs really do contribute to behavior. And I can see how that behavior really does impact relationships. Talk to us a little about a little bit about beliefs and behaviors and how that can sh- can show up in relationships. Absolutely. I think you know we are all conditioned. We get conditioned in certain ways that just becomes part of our psyche. You know, um, part of my book I talk about, you know, when I first wrote my my manuscript for my first book and then the Black Lives Matter happened in America and then I decided to include my journey about growing up in South Africa under the apartheid regime and then moving to New Zealand and Australia and what that looked like. And I go to a book club in um, in Sydney and most of them are older women, much older than me. And they read my book and they were like, wow, we never knew that, you know, um, this was real. And, you know, like I talked about some of my experience in Australia as well, touched on it, but experience in New Zealand as well. And and, and one person said to me, but we don't have racism in um Australia and then another lady was like oh yes we do and then another one was like you know but these are what our parents taught us they just said to us this is how we need to behave this is what we need to think about people this is what life is all about and it just got indoctrinated in them and that's how their perception was and I was just sitting there at the table and I was in awe and I was thinking wow, the behavior has stemmed from generation and it's been passed. And even before I was part of this conversation, I wrote about what I was experiencing and seeing how that those behaviors have been passed, you know, not just in Australia or South Africa, around the globe. And it's a poison pot. We keep it stirred. Because we don't not we do not want to enhance our behaviors. We don't want to look at why we think a certain way, what makes us tick, and why we condition this way, why my parents have raised me to think this way. And maybe it's flawed. Maybe. <laughs> it's definitely flawed. But 
but it's it's sometimes when you're sitting in the middle of something, particularly a, a crisis, it's so hard to really have clarity of what the situation is. And it's so hard to stand up and, and just say to yourself, enough. You know, I'll tell people a lot of times, if you just show up, show up for yourself, it can make a huge difference. And I'll get the, I'll get the blank face look like, what do you mean? Um, and so maybe there's a better way to say it, but show, just showing up for yourself really resonates with me. I, I absolutely, I think what we need to um, take it to is, you know, the basics. When you are in in a vortex and it's spiraling down, we need to establish our boundaries, you know, if someone's affecting us in a toxic way, then it's not healthy. But how we show up is, is it authentic? Am I hurting someone? Or am I, you know, redefining history in a bad way? You know, the basic fundamentals, like would you do this to someone else? Why would you do it? Well, and that, you know, asking the question why, um, I think is important because it helps us to stop and think not only about, it's not just about me, 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 it's about other people too. And when you look at why things are happening, well, why am I reacting the, the way that I do? Because I have history, this, I have emotional history, I have emotional memories, and certainly in domestic violence, because I've done a little bit of work in that in that realm. And those emotional memories that you don't even realize are there until they just show up, they can really be a trigger. Yeah, absolutely. So you need to understand the limitations of that and how you need to deal with it. And if you want your past to actually govern your future or map out your life, those are, you know, core fundamentals that only an individual can decide. Well, and don't you think to do that, you've got to have goals? I mean, if I have short-term goals and I have long-term goals, but without those, I don't have the the path. The path is not clearly in front of me. So do you believe that goals play a, a big part in people's success? Absolutely. Look, you, you need, you know, you wouldn't go to a country and not have a map. Like I travel, uh, you know, so frequently and I don't know what I'd do without Google Maps. Although, you know, I don't really use public transport when I'm in a foreign land. I try to keep it simple, but you need a map. You need to know which part of the city, you know, you want to conquer and all of that. The same is with life. You can't just show up on a busy highway. You'll get smashed. That's for sure. And but, you know, I, I think you, you can't just show up at work without knowing clearly what your what your day holds for you and what you need to accomplish that day. And even the smallest goals I have found will keep people motivated and keep them moving in the right direction. Why do you think people don't set goals? I think the lack of motivation and some some people don't want to be accountable. I, I think it's a could be a cultural thing as well, because 
you know, I've I've lived and worked in five different countries, and I've seen different cultures, different you know um, communities. They think and they are wired differently, and some people have different work ethics. Some people have different life ethics. But yeah, um, some just want to live for the moment here and now. Life is all about you know living on the edge and, you know, living for now and not thinking about the future. And suddenly they realize they have no future and it's too late. So um, I, I think also the lack of direction. I've also encountered lots of people who come from broken homes and never had real role models, like, you know, they had no um, parents or you know, grandparents, no, no figure that actually pointed them in a direction. So they've grown up into adults thinking, oh, this is what life's all about. And they haven't really built, this is just one facet, right? There's bigger other facets. They haven't really carved um, substantial relationships. Everything is superficial. So they go for the superficial at work as well. And if if they feel like that they're doing something, whether it's good or bad, they feel like that they're doing something and that's better, you know, that's that they're helping themselves. And that's not always the, the case. So, you know, we, we've got some really good conversations, Kelly, and you've got so much good information to share with people. For our listeners that are out there, how can they find you? I'm sure you're online. I'm sure you have a website. Could you share that information? Yes, sure. So I am on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, and you can purchase my book on uh, my website, which is www.kellymarkey.com. And I've also got a journal, which is actually called Glean, Grow and Glow. So um, I was asked to write for an international magazine and I've got such amazing feedback. So I've decided to package those articles and put it as a journal. So again, it walks through people uh, growing and, you know, eventually glowing. And I've got amazing feedback from those journals as well. So it's available on my website as well. That's such a positive context to put it in. Growing and glowing. I'm thinking, I want to do that. I want some of that for sure. So for people that I know you do coaching, you do speaking, you do consulting. So for for anyone that wants to reach out to you to learn more about your services, is that on your website as well? Absolutely. Yes. So you can uh, navigate to my website and there's a consultant page and contact me. I'm looking forward to meeting all you exciting um Americans and people from the rest of the world. Well, thank you so much. And and thank you so much for being with me today because, Kelly, it's we all have a story to tell. And I find it amazing when I listen to your story, you know, being the youngest of five children in South Africa and what you went through and how you really you had to transform yourself to get out of the racial segregation and the violence and Here's to you. I mean, here's to you for having, I don't know, was it motivation? Was it inspiration? Was it determination or was it all three? Uh, I think it was all three. 
I yes. think it probably was too. Again, yes. Kelly, thanks so much for being with me. I have enjoyed learning from you. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com.